Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Michael Brandvold, and as always, I'm joined by Jay Gilbert. How are you doing today, Jay? I'm doing great. I wish we were watching the uh, Mac announcement, but we'll we'll get there. I was going to say, just so you, you all know our devotion to this show, Jay and I are giving up watching the live Apple keynote. That's true. Just That's a big sacrifice. Just to bring you this show. Right now, they're introducing something very cool, and I have no idea what it is. <laughs> yeah. So, Jay, we got a special guest with us this week. We do. We'd like to welcome Will Wakefield. Uh, Will's an interesting cat. He's got uh, he's got a band. He's an artist, singer songwriter, but he also works in the industry. He works A uh, and R for a record label. It's kind of an interesting mix. Um, Will is in a band in the Seattle area called uh, Will Wakefield and the Congress Hotel. Um, they're available everywhere. You can go on Spotify. You can go check them out. Really great stuff, you know, if you like rock and roll. Um, anyway, Will, welcome to the show. Welcome. Hey. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, this is great. I really enjoy the show. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about kind of your background because there's not too many people that I've met who work in the industry and continue to write, record, play live, promote themselves as an artist and especially in the field of A&R. Yeah, um, you know, I mean it it kind of uh, you know it's funny you say that because I actually don't um I don't run into it a lot either. I mean, I think there's a lot more people probably involved in music at some point, but then they either go one way or the other. Um, when I was, uh, I went to school at Berkeley College of Music, and when I was there, I realized that uh, <laughs> that everybody out there, uh, everybody knows how to play guitar, and there's always like 20 guys that are better than you, right? So right. when I was there, I decided I'd take like the business track so I could also kind of run my own you know, my own machine behind my band, behind everything, be able to manage my own affairs. Sure. And through that, that allowed me to uh, to make moves to actually be a part of the industry at the record label level. And I've always enjoyed recording and and mixing my own records and demoing my own material. Sure. So I think all those things tied together, you know, and then that became, you know, one goal was still to perform in the band and the other one was, uh, you know, to help other artists too. And I enjoy, I enjoy that side of it. And the creative aspect of that, which is a whole other yeah. other part of the business, right? So yeah. So on the on the A and R side, I think there's you know common misconceptions about what A and R does and doesn't do, and I'm sure it varies across you know labels and genres. But what what kind of things do you do for for A and R? Well, mostly I would say. Um, it, yeah, it is absolutely kind of over the years has changed how it's perceived and what it actually accomplishes. But um, I would say what I do mostly is I would say I administer like A&R um, various duties. So so say instead of necessarily running around like a traditional A&R person from, you know, from mythology and, and looking for <laughs> the John Kalagners. <laughs> exactly yeah. yes exactly yeah. right just running around and seeing that great band that one time at that one venue and that one moment you're gonna be um, huge kid <laughs> yeah <laughs> so the other side of A&R is just trying to work with um work with musicians to make the record which is partly related to production but it's also um 
it's related to making a good environment, I suppose, for an artist. Once sounds like they, the uh, R of A and R. Yeah. So, like, I'll do the, a lot of. Um, I will set up all the productions for like making a record, so that when an artist walks in, he doesn't have to think about where he's staying or where they're going to rehearse or do they need to rent an organ or do they, you know, they could just get to work and knock out a day, go play a set later that night because I've built the whole system around him, I guess. You know what I mean? So that just allows, it just allows the process to be a lot easier. And knowing what I know from being on the music side, it makes it a lot easier too. So I can, I can predict what problems are going to happen for people because they're, they're just so common that, same problems with piano tuning or changing your drum heads or those kind of things that people just don't think about, you know, I've already thought about it. Right. So that's, that's what I do mostly on the A&R side of things these days. Um, but I also spend a lot of time listening to new music, listening to music of all sorts of different artists, I suppose, and, and pitching it back to the label, you know, thinking about what's going to work and, from from an A and R standpoint, how involved are you in the artist's um, songwriting, the recording, the arrangements? You know, again, the mythology the mythology around A and R reps was the A and R reps sat there in the studio and said, "That's not a hit song. Let's rewrite that." And you need this and do. Right. Does that still exist? I don't hear a single. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, all of that, all of those levels do still exist. Um, where I um, come into that, I mean, I have seen that. It, it's much more rare than it used to be. Now there's so much, there's a lot of talent, not that there always wasn't talent, but now that there's so much talent and ease of access to it, I think, you know, obviously because of the internet and everything else, now it becomes more about song selection and choices as opposed to necessarily arrangement. There might just be more options and a discussion over what kind of songs they choose to record so like in jazz we will do a lot more cover material because you're just arranging things differently every time um so that could be a lot more the in our discussion could be just about how and what songs they choose you know for historical reasons and for and for other reasons to you know arrange a song differently um to come up with a new way to put their own spin on it right so the conversation becomes about those things and and yes, like it could be, um, I mean, for me, like my thing is like, does this song really need like six different solo sections or does that not serve the song or is that just a bunch of guys wanting to play a great show live? You know, those are conversations I like to have with people just so they're focusing because six solos might be what that song needs, but I just need them to right. think about it, right? Sure. So and there's, there, there's a big difference between, you know, the album and something that might get played on the radio and then the live show. You know, um, I was listening exactly. to um, the Julian Lodge record recently. Fantastic record, Arclight. And then I saw some videos from his performance, and they're just totally different interpretations. And they go on and they take like a, a four-minute song and they make it an eight-minute song. And that's not a negative, but it may not have lended itself, you know, to the album, right? Right. And that's that's my thing is my job is to kind of focus the attention on what matters. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm necessarily, yes, telling somebody how to make their how to do their work. But sometimes just just bringing those things up. is important. Right. Just um, I've had that with singers, too, um, where they have this one thing that they really want to convey. 
But maybe they just aren't enunciating or, or they're not bringing out the vocal when they need to, or they're not making themselves the focus because they want the whole band to be the focus. But as long as you're bringing those things up, just like a producer would, um, doesn't necessarily mean they have to make that choice. It's just that you're, you just want people engaged and thinking about all their options, you know, right? So, yeah. yeah. Um, does, for, for you, and maybe you can just speak in general for A&R, mm-hmm. uh, does it, the responsibilities also then extend beyond the recording, the music, meaning do you help them in other areas of their business, their career? They need a manager. They need to find a publicist. You work with them on their image. Does all of that roll into an A&R responsibility as well? Yes, uh, to a certain extent. I would say a lot of the artists that we work with, um, having management or a legal team ahead of time or somebody that you're working with is a big plus, right? Which has nothing to do with the music. And that's another A&R thing that I think a lot of people are aware of now, but maybe not. But a lot there's a lot of things to weigh um, besides just the art, right? There's a lot of things. I mean, what if you have a band that has incredible music but doesn't like to leave home, doesn't want to tour, doesn't do those things? Those are concerns you need to, to bring up. And so regarding like, yes, like image, um, choices that they make we can help direct people so like if you have a good manager but say you don't have a good booking agent well we might be able to help point you in that direction because of our relationships so yes anything we can do that way uh we will attempt to do you know have you generally seen over the years especially since the the heyday of the music industry has changed into what we are dealing with today has a and r sort of disappeared for a lot of labels i mean is a lot of what you're talking about maybe now being handled by we'll call the receptionist she'll book you your hotels you know is oh, is, 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 is yeah you know has has the role of a and r kind of disappeared in a lot of places and it's sort of like the labels just sort of expect the bands to come ready i'm sorry i cut out a little but i think i i get the gist <laughs> the um yes i would say i would say that's absolutely the case on a, in a lot of, i've my experience anyway has been um, my experience personally has been that way on the flip side as an artist looking to find a home at a label that's that's one of those experiences i've i've dealt with um i'm sorry did we are we still there you no guys, we're still here, yeah. here yep. we yeah. okay cool um but yeah in my experience that's definitely the case i would think a and r um has changed a lot there's it's more about you know it's uh, uh what was the baseball movie it's more about metrics to a certain extent right mm-hmm. it's about measuring all these things to to make the decisions and I'm, I'm not saying that it always wasn't either it probably was to a certain extent years ago but um i mean there was always a lot of decisions that wrapped around it besides the music but yes there is less there's less of the old-fashioned a r of like picking the artist to sing the right song right that's what it used to be years yeah ago. yeah and it's just not that way anymore so, Will, tell me about tell me about your experience as a musician, as a performer. Um, I, I think you've been around long enough to know or to have seen how things used to be, but now you have, as a performer, you've got to manage your website, you got to manage your socials, you may have an email list, you may have a merch table, you may have, you know, all of these different things that maybe you didn't have to deal with. 10 years ago how do you juggle all of that 
Oh yeah, no, it drives me nuts. It's uh, <laughs> some of those things obviously made life much easier, and I have to give credit to like you know just the like touring and issues like that, where it used to be you had to send a lot of you know physical merch and make a ton of phone calls and like I mean merch, not merch, but excuse me, like posters and like sure. you know very specific kind of things and talk to people in town and see if you could even try to get like some sort of street team even if that's just some cousin or friend you know in some small town who can run around and do some work for you so a lot of those things got better with social media and also just contacting you know like um the people that book the show for you on the road uh having even though it's still a hassle to have like a 30 email exchange with a booking guy who barely knows your band so that's easier than trying to track him down with a phone call right so all those things you know, post like 1999 or whenever cell phones started to get really popular, that all changed how <clears throat> how we did stuff as a small band. But then you're right; it also added a ton of extra work because now the marketing and the marketing is as much isn't as much just yeah trying to go hang up posters with your band one night, which used to be a hassle. Now it's sure. like you got to spend every day, you got to spend hours, you know, participating in the in the world and honestly i i go through periods where i love it and i'm you know into it and then i will just disappear for like eight months at a time because <laughs> i just <laughs> don't like to participate but yeah i understand that's the world now so right it's it's a lot you know you have to have a plan you know it's there's a lot of different uh avenues in which for you to communicate with people but you know if you can rise above the clutter and, you know, whether sure. it's on SoundCloud or a streaming service or wherever you get your music out there, it can be super uh, fruitful. So when you're when you're playing a show, um, what do you think about selling merch at the shows and selling vinyl at the shows? Do you do that? Uh, well, we haven't done vinyl yet, but uh, yeah, we've always like sold CDs. Um, I mean, my biggest thing is uh, I would love to just sell music. I would rather not have to sell t-shirts and other things that are unrelated to the music, but I absolutely understand how that works. Right. That's just sure. a personal, personal thing, personal opinion. Sure. But, um, but yeah. no, it's, it's much harder now, right. With it's great because my music's everywhere now with Apple music and Spotify and what CD baby has done over the years to allow artists like me to just kind of aggregate everything quickly, and, um, without much effort at all. Um, but, also, yeah, it takes away, um, you know, yes, at the shows, I don't, we don't sell hardly any CDs at shows, but I don't think that's because we don't have a decent listenership when I look around in the, in the streaming areas. It's just because my fan base doesn't, they just don't buy CDs anymore. They may buy vinyl. We've never done a run of vinyl, but even yeah. if we did, it would be a, it'd be just for us, right? It'd be a small 100, 300, you know, vinyl record run just for, you know, me and my friends and the people that care enough to go grab the actual vinyl. I'm not sure how it would do actually yeah. with fans that come to shows. Yeah. Do so. you look at your, I'm sure you do. You look at your analytics, whether it's from socials or streaming or wherever, are you finding that, you know, the promise of the internet is true that you're, you know, you've maybe got some friends, you know, in other countries, you've got, you know, people who are listening to you and responding, you know, all across you know the world i mean are you finding that that's kind of the case yeah i'm i'm finding some interesting things in the analytics um not all over the world i mean there has definitely been we've had some spots in europe that um seem to 
to get the band. Uh, and then also it's, it's big up here in the Northwest. But what I did find recently, I thought was really, this is the kind of stuff that this kind of demographic information I find personally really interesting. Um, is there was a song off of our, my band's first record, apartment 306. And there was a song at the very end. that was kind of a big, for me, like a, you know, like a big anthem Led Zeppelin kind of eight minute song that I knew the band would never really play live. And it kind of, we had multiple arguments over even recording it because it was one of those things we'd never really rehearsed, but I had put together. And I've always loved that song. We've never played that song, never performed it, turned out great. But what's interesting is when I check like the Spotify analytics, there's one or two people that have like thrown that in a playlist somewhere and we'll have like 300 listens for it over a course of a couple of weeks. And that's awesome. So to me, that's like, well, maybe I got to tell these guys we got to learn that song. <laughs> we got to go play right. that live because somebody cares. So, you know, but those are the kind of infer- those are the kind of interesting things I think that are that are really helpful out there nowadays. Those kind of things you just don't know about, right? Like, yeah, that and that's in- and information didn't used to exist. Yeah, it's it's exactly right. You know, it wasn't that long ago when the original Napster, you know, 97, 98, right around that time uh, kicked off and I remember those meetings because for the very first time, we could tell what people not only were listening to, but el- what else was in their library. For example, you oh. might find that everybody who buys Metallica also has every Lyle Love It. That sounds absurd, but maybe but put them on the mean. road together because you find those correlations. The point is, we just didn't know. And right. what I think is pretty exciting for you is now you can go in, I mean, even with things like, you know, uh, Facebook, you know, insights and, and, you know, Spotify and things like, you know, some of these, Michael and I use these, you know, services like Buffer and Sprout and Hootsuite where we manage, you know, socials and email lists. And you can see what, when somebody opened your email, what device they were on, where they were, you know, geographically and, you know, what they clicked on, what they didn't click on, where they went. It's almost overload on the data. Do you find it's a little bit overwhelming with all the all the data yeah. you can get? I mean, I think it's really interesting and neat. And I think that, like, look, I, I love the idea of how sociology works. I think it's fantastic. But at the same time, I take some of it with a grain of salt just because I've seen how it works on the flip side of being, you know, like somebody uh, – like myself, like where the algorithms just don't line up to what I actually, my tastes are like, it can't perceive, it can't perceive certain things about me. Um, so yeah. like an example, like that I run into that I think is really funny all the time. And, and I think you and Jay, Jay, we've talked about this before, but like, uh, I'm a big fan of the West wing, but Netflix thinks I'm a big fan of political shows, but it doesn't know what I am a fan of is Aaron Sorkin. But I can't right. tell it that I'm a fan of Aaron Sorkin, right? So right. it's one of those things where it doesn't know how to pitch back to me what I enjoy, right? Yeah. So, but so I do take some of these things with a grain of salt because I think that they're getting better and better, more accurate. But at the same time, I understand yeah. that they're <laughs> we could be missing something too. I yeah, agree. You know, you know, I, yeah. I I had I had an interesting uh, casual discussion with somebody. We were talking about. Um, Spotify and how Spotify knows what you like and gives you music that should be of your taste and he's like it's it's totally wrong for me it my Spotify keeps giving me crap that I would never listen to and I said do you share your Spotify account with anybody he's like 
well, yeah, my 12-year-old daughter. And I go, well, <laughs> you know, there you go. Yeah, right. Spotify doesn't know it's the 12-year-old daughter listening. It just says this account yeah. is listening to this and listening to this. So yeah. it, it's it's That's cases bad. like that where the data, to your point, <laughs> doesn't cute. know. It doesn't know what's going on. Why is that happening? It's data, right? It's, it's not emotional. It's garbage in, garbage out kind of thing. <laughs> but what I do, I will say that, over the last 12 to 18 months, those recommendation engines are getting, they're getting better. They're getting sharper. And, you know, I know what you're saying, you know, about the Aaron Sorkin thing, unless you're watching, you know, Sports Night or Newsroom or whatever it is, and maybe it could tie those all yeah. together. But I, I do think that, you know, we're in, it's in its infancy. And I think in our lifetime, someone's going to really nail that recommendation curation thing because it's getting so much better and it's moving so quickly right. where, you know, I'm finding, you know, Spotify's Discover Weekly is really good. And I know that on Apple Music, their curated playlist for me this last week was absolutely amazing. I mean, they pulled up stuff, you know, that... Some of it I hadn't heard, some of it I had, but not for a while. But that whole playlist was just ridiculously well put together. So, and I think the challenge for you as an artist is, okay, how do I get people who like these bands to to check out? Because the number one reason why a record doesn't sell is that people haven't been exposed to it. And I think with, with your music... There are a lot of fans of a lot of bands that if they were exposed to that, they'd be like, yeah, this this is what I like. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I do hope that that starts to work better. Because you're right, actually, I'm a I'm an Apple Music guy as opposed to Spotify, but that's only because I was an iTunes guy and I've been an Apple nerd since the little <laughs> desktop computers in the late 80s. So I've stuck with it the whole time. Um, but you're right, that new um, the new algorithm, I checked that out the other day too, and the 4U thing was much better the one they like or i can't i don't remember what they call it but the yeah, i think that's what it was yeah yeah i was surprised how uh, good it was and also you know it's interesting i had a experience like this a couple of years ago that you're talking about like trying to put the right bands together but this was like in a just a live venue situation but we um we own we opened up for a band up here in seattle uh that was um oh they were called, <laughs> they're called uh, Problem Child, and they're just an incredibly good ACDC tribute band. Like, they're just great. Like, you know, they sell out huge places. But opening up for them as a rock band, the people that came to that show came to see ACDC, and they would never come out to a show at that venue or that part of town or to see a big rock show because they were coming to see ACDC. And you know what? We got more emails, sold more merch, had one of the best shows ever that night because all of a sudden we had the right audience show yeah. up, right? Yeah, so, they were exposed to it. Yeah, right? And it was just a, that was a great thing because all of a sudden you realized, basically I opened up for ACDC as far as these guys were concerned, so they mm -hmm. loved it. And that, yeah. And I had never thought that that would happen. <laughs> well, know, it's probably happened fun. to you, Will, right? I mean, how many times have you gone to a show, and I know this has happened to Michael, certainly happened to me, where you go, you know, see a band that you only want to see that band, um, and there's some opening band, and you're like, who the hell is this? And you end up being, you know, a massive fan of that band just because you were exposed to it. I know some people go to shows, you go, you go see a show, and, you know, 
the the opening band impresses you and next thing you know you've become a fan of that band not because you heard them on the radio not because you saw their album cover you know at amoeba but because you were just exposed to them yeah no i was just making the point of you know how important opening shows is for exposure that's all yes yeah oh and yeah and i no i totally agree i mean for me a lot of great bands i've discovered were at, you know, seeing the opening acts. Yeah. Well, well, as as an artist and as somebody who works in the business, let me get your opinion on this. Should do or not should do bands need to sign with a record label? Should they sign with a record label? Absolutely depends on their goals, I think at this point. And I've actually gone through this myself like because I work at a label and I understand what it can accomplish for somebody. Um, it, it really depends on where they are in their career. So if you're talking about a brand new artist, I think being with a label is going to really solve a bunch of problems for you. If they're willing to get behind you and help market your, your records and help you point you in the right direction of people to help you get on a better tour than maybe just touring a couple states over you know like any of those things can really help like a a younger artist i would say though that if you're an artist that's already put out three or four records maybe had an independent record deal maybe maybe a major label deal that you got dropped from i think you have to rethink it i think you have to decide do you have enough cachet to do it on your own because if you do and if you make enough money to maybe hire one or two staff people or something to kind of keep keep the ball rolling then it might be better to do it that way at this point. Um, but usually that's hard, right? It's all about finance, right? It's about money. And if you can't, if it's hard enough for the band to get supported when you're out touring, you know, to make a good enough a living, to make it worthwhile, then the other things aren't going to happen. They're just not. So, I mean, at, at the end of the day, isn't that really the number one thing labels can bring to the table is money? Um. Yes, but I think nowadays it's less money and more organizational. Like, um, I, I mean, I'm sorry, money, you, you're saying the same thing I am, I think. But, like, I'm saying, like, the label, they'll spend money, but it might it might not show up in the artist's pocket, per se. Right, 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 but right. It, but it's the structure, yes. Right, yes. they, they, so, they yeah. instead of the artist having to hire a publicist and a radio right. person... The label might hire that. No, ultimately, exactly. as we all know, that all gets recouped out of the artist's earnings at the end of the day, but the artist doesn't have to write a check. Yeah. Yes, and, and that's a good point that I think is not made enough um, because <laughs> this is the thing. The record, record labels and the industry itself over the years um, have a bad rap for a lot of good reasons but there's also they don't talk about the good things they do and then here's the thing like if a if you were to go to a bank and take out like a fifty thousand dollar loan to make a record well they'd want their money back and the thing is that there's a lot of artists who get a chance to make a good record for all the right reasons and it just doesn't work out for everybody you know and at the end of the day they get to walk you know what I mean? There's no, nobody asking questions. There's So when the recoupable thing comes up, I totally get the issues on both sides. But, you know, for every, you know, 10, 15, 20 <laughs> and more artists that are successful and making money for themselves and for the label and for everybody, like their management, everybody involved, 
um, there's just tons and tons of records that don't, right? So it's um, there are good things about uh, <laughs> how labels accomplish certain tasks. Um, yeah, I I I, I think the know. I think the 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 point is artists need to realize that it's not free money. It, right. it's, it, it's money that you don't, again, you don't have to write the check to spend it. Yeah. Somebody else will write the check, but you're still responsible for that money one way or another. And again, right. you, you may not recoup it, but there's still going to be some conditions tied to that. You may not get out of your deal until you pay back what needs to be recouped. Yeah. There, there, it's just, I think a lot of artists look at it as, it's just free money. They're just going to give me the money to do this. Yeah. And, and no, you know, from a business standpoint, go into this with the right frame of mind and realize it's, it's basically a really nice loan. You're getting a yeah. really good yeah. loan, <laughs> and that's yeah, exactly, and that's that's exactly what it is. It's a very nice loan with the structure and infrastructure. It's a business deal. I mean, it's yeah, it's not many necessarily money that's going to go in your pocket to buy a new car or anything like that. It's it's right. to make a good record and to see what happens with it. Well, and, you know, yeah. you know, but but let 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 let's let's flash back. I mean, again, a lot of people might sit here and go, "Oh, I've I've seen so many of these behind the music,s yeah. and the label <laughs> does give you money." They're giving you that money to record with, to right. to hire musicians, a hire producer. Now, if you choose to pocket that money and buy a car, great. Now you just don't have any money to record your album, and and that starts a nasty chain of right. events yeah. of, I need more yeah. money. Okay, we'll give you more money, but now your loan becomes bigger and bigger. Yeah, it's so it's, it's just remember, they're giving you this money for your music, for your career, not for you to become a high-rolling rock star. Yeah, and I think that the old days of kind of getting this giant advance, you know, and then never making another penny because you weren't recouped, yeah. you know, those days are kind of over. I, I know... Yeah, yeah. Labels are a lot more careful now, and they want, you know, you'll hear people talk about the 360 deal and how, you know, some are negative, some are positive about it. But I do like the fact that labels now are more partners with the artists and helping them with other revenue streams. And um, I, I think that's only a positive. I think that's good for some of the new, you know, young talent out there. You want somebody who has skin in the game that wants to get you in TV commercials and film soundtracks and, you know, some of those sync licensing things. You want you know, a partner that that's wants you on the road in front of the best crowds possible and is going to use their leverage. And let's face it, some that's one of the functions that a label quietly does in the background is they'll use that leverage like, okay, we have superstar A, but if you're not helping my new developing artist, then we're not going to play your radio station party this year and we're not going to bring your artist out on tour. And it's, you know, it's kind of you scratch my back, I scratch yours. It's not any different than, you know, any other business. But I think people, you know, I think record labels get a bad rap sometimes. Mm -hmm. And from the people that I know working with record labels, there's a lot of smart, hardworking people there. But you know, just like any business, there's there's some <laughs> shady things too. <laughs> yeah, and I, I do think too that we did um, a lot of the people that are left over in this business after after you know the post piracy Napster, which it's not even post. Like, look, this all that stuff still goes on. But 
but sure. a lot of the industry that is you know that has disappeared were the parts of the industry that were in it for some of the wrong reasons like the people that i talk to now at the indie labels and everywhere else the only reason they're involved is because they probably used to play in a punk band at one point and they they still want to be involved with music right i mean this is why like so there's a lot of good people out there i think doing it for the right reasons now and so that's why i do agree that there's a certain partnership jay like you're talking about now that has that has come out of it where and I, I think artists do this is this is why the business side of things is important to think about is there's no reason you can't pitch like say if you did a a good record maybe you didn't need you don't need the money up front there's no reason to pitch not to pitch it to a label to say like hey can you just pick up the mastering cost sure. but can we get a higher royalty percentage and take can we incur more risk could we just you, license you know, get, your could we just yeah. license you our right. finished product like a P and D deal or something. Yeah, and a lot of licensing deals are, are starting to happen more. They used to be more about territories, but now it's like, yeah, just bands that will do one. To, you know, maybe they'll do a license deal, but they'll they'll make a deal to say like, yeah, but the label gets an option to license an X record or two from us. So yeah. I mean, there are those things happening now, and I, I think those are good. I mean, obviously the famous one up here, uh, you know, recently was was Macklemore, right? So Macklemore got like a special deal because of friends and people he knows up here um that are involved with like with ada which is just a distributor independent distributor but big famous you know well-known you know related back to wea and um you know those guys they basically were labeled they called it label services for him right and yeah. so but they'd never done that before they'd never well, they'd only partnered labels right this disclaimer point. i actually worked on that project i'm working oh, at ADA, okay. ada and wea and you know the financials of that would blow your mind unlike anything you've ever seen because oh. of the fact that it was well and i think macklemore kind of played down the role of ada um, because it was a licensing <laughs> thing but they trust me they yeah. busted their ass on that one thing i wanted to ask you about um will was what do you think about kind of the new music business meaning what do you think about you know streaming and as a musician um is i mean are you making any money from it do you think it hurts your cd sales or download sales or uh, what, what do you think about all of the uh the new changes in in distribution um, I would say no. It doesn't. It doesn't help. No, I mean financially speaking, it's still not not good for us as an independent artist. Like I think it. I think it's starting to come around for labels who have a ton of different things out there. Like the money's starting to come in better because people are switching to that format and switching over. But I do still have. I mean, I look. If you go to my like CD Baby account and stuff, and you look, I mean, even the percentage that I get off the higher streaming. Um, services out there it would still take almost like ten thousand or something like that spins of every song on my record to equal like a ten dollar purchase of a cd right so wow. so i mean i don't even know like if i've lifted if i've listened to like you know dark side of the moon that many times and i've bought their record that record probably like six or seven times right so um so i do wonder Look, it's it's more fair now. It's like who gets listens to the most gets paid the most, right? But see, I don't know if that works for. I, I was trying to explain this to somebody the other day. Um, like I have my comfort food records, right? Like those records sure. that I always listen to in my top ten. But then I also have various like um, 
you know, like Stravinsky records or Leonard Bernstein records or, uh, you know, or Beethoven records that are not something that I will listen to more than maybe, you know, once or twice a year. But I paid, you know, $15, $20 for those CDs and they're incredible, right? But they're not something I would ever listen to on a day-to-day basis. So how do you pay for that, right? How do you pay for music that's art but not necessarily going to get millions of spins? And maybe, look, maybe that's the same as it always was. But I don't know. I think that core market would have still gone out to buy a small, you know, bunch of that art record, you know, enough to enough to get like the band or the artist or the symphony by to make the next record. But I'm not sure you can do that in this environment, you know, yeah. if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. And it it's it must be interesting for you kind of because you've seen the old world and the new world, you know, you've watched it before your very eyes kind of, um, you know, transition. And so, uh, yeah. yeah, you make a lot more revenue from, you know, a CD, but I noticed that your stuff is on, you know, streaming services. So it's not like you're, you know, a Luddite, you're not withholding your, your repertoire from streaming services. What do you think about YouTube? Oh, um, you know, everybody tells me that's where <laughs> that's where the money's at. Like, there's this place, you know, this magical place in YouTube that makes money. But honestly, I haven't seen any of that. I don't know. I mean, I I probably could have a better presence there. But frankly, I don't know if this is the case for everybody. But I don't use YouTube that much, and so I never understood like why so many people go there to listen to music. I get it. I see how they're doing it, but it seems really odd to, with data plans and everything else the way they are to have <laughs> to be playing basically a blank video with audio you know what i mean i, I yeah. just personally never i get it though i mean i understand why it started to show up there because it was a way to monetize sure. streams without you know having a service like spotify um, I, I i think there's just a lot of overhype for you two and the revenue stream again unless you're 10 million streams Mm-hmm. you're going to see a lot of money but it, i'm not posting music but i post um podcast videos one every week consistently and they get five to ten thousand plays and in a quarter i might get 150 bucks from yeah. youtube so and and i and i can tell you the average artist is not posting that much content and is not getting that many plays on every single video. So the money that the average musician is making off of YouTube is going to be comparable to what they were doing in Spotify when you think about it. So I, I just, the, the whole concept of YouTube being that's where the money is, that's not the case. Not unless, yeah. you're, not unless again, yeah. you're, you're, you're doing 10,000, 10, 10 million sure. plays. And I think the industry is, you know, there's a lash back, you know, right now um, right. because of the fact the the rates are so much lower than, say, streaming. But I can tell you that I have a, a focus group of teenage kids that um, I have, and their primary way of listening to music is YouTube because it's free for them. They can find things that you'll never find oh, on a traditional yeah I, I was just saying that you know i have i have teenagers and their primary way of listening to music is youtube they create playlists they can get things they can't find on streaming services and uh you know i i kind of get 
that that's kind of their radio. They make their playlists, you know, just right. like I might in, in Apple Music and, and all of that stuff. But, but yeah. Will, um, b- before we let you go, um, tell, tell people where they can find your music and where they can, where they can find you. Oh, yeah. Um, if you go to willwakefield.com or you can find me on Facebook, just Will Wakefield um, or Will Wakefield in the Congress Hotel on Facebook. Um, there's, uh, let's see, our Twitter handle, I think it's like Will Wakefield CH. Um, but yeah, we're pretty much everywhere. You could, if you just, yeah, if you Google Will Wakefield in the Congress Hotel, you'll find us across all those platforms. Well, keep up the great work. I, I love the music that you're putting out. It's right up my alley. And oh, I, I was just saying that uh, I, I dig your music. It harkens back to you know all of the stuff that I grew up on and that I dig. And just uh, continued uh, success with your own stuff. I appreciate that. Hey, well, thanks so much. And thank we you. are, um, yeah, thank you, Mike. I was gonna say we are putting out a new record next year too. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that'll be done here soon. Excellent. Well, thanks, thanks again thanks, for joining thanks us. Thanks for joining really us and all the it. insights. Thank you, Will. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate it, guys. Take, Take care. care. Right. Cheers. Um, I, I, I love getting in, and we're going to have a guest coming up in the future similar to this, but I love getting insight from people who are the working musician, that you're, yeah. you're not the superstar. Because I, I hear a lot of times people are like, well, great, that, that works for you too, but I'm not you too. I'm never going to be you too. So how, exactly. can that, how does that work for me? Yeah. And 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 it's not downplaying what somebody like Will has accomplished, but Will is the working musician. He's the guy yeah. that's out there doing it all and and he's a musician with a full-time gig and his full-time gig happens to be in the business as well. Absolutely. And I would encourage everyone to we we had a guest on the show a while back, um Ari Herstand. Yes. He's got he's got a new book out. We we should get him back on sometime, but he's got a new book that just came out. Uh, just Google Ari Herstand, and he tries to demystify a lot of the things that Will was talking about. There are things that the working musician today just simply has to know about and has to do and has to do right. And you can have a decent career as a, a working musician. You just have to be smart about it. And as you always say, Michael, you just got to educate yourself. You're, gonna, you're, you're also just going to have to work a lot harder. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I hate I hate this stereotype, but there still are so many musicians who want to do this so they can become the rock star, so so that they they will be able to survive and live literally on the money they make playing music or selling CDs. That doesn't exist anymore. That's so rare. You have to do everything. You have to be your business manager. Starting out, you may have to be your own lawyer. You have to be your own marketing person. Social media, (laughs) your distributor, you've got your merch stand. You've got to do all of that. And that's what separates you from the bands that aren't going to make it. If, If you sit here and go, well, you know what? I just played two-hour show, I'm sweaty, I'm exhausted, but I'm going out to the merch stand for another 45 minutes. But the band that plays tomorrow night goes, screw that, I'm just going to hang in the dressing room and have my free beer that's on my rider. Guess which band is probably going to succeed? Yeah, The, the guy who, who busts his butt doing this. Yeah, some of our favorite bands are the hardest working bands ever, the cheap tricks of the world. These people that just... They don't stop. They don't miss opportunities. They work hard. They meet people. They visit radio stations. They do signings. You know, they they meet their fans. They talk to their fans. It's work, but 
you know, it, it beats, uh, you know, it beats a real job. It, it, you're doing what you love. You're playing doesn't music. Doesn't get any better it, than that, that, right? That doesn't suck. And hopefully you keep busting your ass so one day you can afford to take a merch guy out on the road to do this for you. Or you can add yeah. an extra crew member. Or you can you can hire somebody like myself or Jay to help you. You know, that's what you're striving for. You know, that big golden egg record deal, it's not out there anymore. It's not out there. No one's going to drop a check in your lap for a half a million dollars. It's just not going to happen. Um, All right. This was good, good, good conversation. Yeah, good conversation. Let's go check out that Apple announcement. There you go. Take care, everybody. (laughs) Cheers.